Would you believe that a ship that exploded in a Texas harbor and caused the largest industrial accident in American history was not the top story? The high death count and extreme devastation were not what everyone was talking about. Find out what was on this episode of Top Fold. Welcome to Top Fold, a podcast about all the news that would have been. I'm your host, Luke Hefley. Here at Top Fold, we explore monumental events that didn't make the top story only because that spot was already taken. Texas City is located just 10 miles from Galveston, Texas. A port city, it was founded on the idea of exporting petroleum and many other items all over the world. Just after World War II, its harbor was as busy as ever, and it frequently hosted large ships containing dangerous materials. In the spring of 1947, one of these ships, the SS Grand Camp, had left Houston with oil machinery equipment, some small arms ammunition, and 200 tons of peanuts, and was now being loaded with 2,300 tons of ammonium nitrate, a common fertilizer that can also be used as an explosive. Workers loading the ammonium nitrate commented that the sacks were warm to the touch, and at 8 a.m., someone reported smoke. Shortly thereafter, the ship was on fire. Around 8.30, and unable to extinguish the blaze, the workers were told to abandon the ship, and the fire department was called in. By this time, orange and blue flames were fleeing the cargo hole, and bystanders, including many local schoolchildren, moved in for a closer look. In addition to the incredible flames, water around the vessel was now actually boiling halfway up its sides. Firemen's hoses became useless, as the water turned into steam even before reaching the ship. This was the point of no return. At 9.12 a.m., the SS Grand Camp exploded. It was catastrophic. Not only did it create a 15-foot tidal wave, but the shockwave itself leveled a 1,000 homes and buildings and shattered windows as far away as Galveston. The steel from the ship became shrapnel to helpless onlookers. Everyone within the vicinity, including 27 of the town's 28 volunteer firemen, were killed instantly. The ship's explosion was so massive that the two-ton anchor went airborne for over a mile and a half, making a crater 10 feet deep. Two airplanes flying over observing the ship were annihilated. People as far away as two miles were killed by flying debris. The blast triggered a chain reaction, causing nearby chemical factories to also explode. The Monsanto Chemical Storage Facility was extremely close to the harbor, and 234 of the 574 workers were killed, and almost all of the survivors were seriously injured. The town of Texas City burned for a week. At least 2,000 people were homeless, 5,000 injured, with 1,700 of them being hospitalized, and at least 581 people died from the blast. Authorities knew that the official count was low because there was close to 200 missing, never to be found, including many unregistered dock workers. This was, and remains to this day, the worst industrial accident in American history. However, this was not the main story everyone was talking about. Another explosion, if you will, that had been brewing for years, if not decades, had just happened one day earlier. The buildup was at a fever pitch and everyone around the nation was paying close attention to the news coming out of New York City, or more specifically, Brooklyn. 
What could possibly be even bigger than America's worst industrial accident? How could the lead story change so quickly? Because, less than 24 hours earlier, the world changed. The baseball world, that is. On April 15, 1947, baseball's segregated color barrier was shattered when Jackie Robinson started at first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers. This monumental event had been in the works for a couple of years. Branch Rickey, the Dodgers general manager, was innovative and no stranger to controversy. Very spiritual, he knew the unwritten rule regarding race was wrong and that Jackie Robinson was the perfect person to break this barrier. Robinson was a phenomenal athlete. At UCLA, he lettered in four sports. No other UCLA athlete has been able to do so since. He broke records in football, basketball, and track that still stand today. As a matter of fact, most agree that if he had a weakest sport, it was baseball. After reigning supreme for the Kansas City Monarchs, a baseball team for men of color called the Negro League, he led the Montreal Royals, an international minor league team for the Dodgers. Known for his hitting, and especially his ability to steal bases, Robinson was now ready to show the big leagues and the world who he was. On Tuesday, April 15, 1947, the Brooklyn Dodgers took on the Boston Braves and 25,623 fans were on hand to see number 42 take the field. Over half the fans in attendance that day were from the African-American community. The first Major League pitcher Robinson faced was the all-star Johnny Sane from Yale County, Arkansas. Sane, who would go on to win six World Series rings, three as a player and three as a coach, has the rare distinction of having been the pitcher to throw the last pitch to Babe Ruth in an organized baseball game and the first pitch to Jackie Robinson. Robinson didn't officially get a hit on this day, although he did execute a sacrifice bunt to help his team win. Because it was ruled an error on Boston, Robinson reached first base. Later that inning, he came across home plate giving the Dodgers the lead and the victory. Although never having played first base before, he played the position flawlessly. All 11 times teammates hurled the baseball at him, he was able to retire the opposing runner. He had no errors that day. The starting first baseman for whom Robinson took over was Edward Big Ed Stevens, a great player himself. Stevens was no longer needed and was traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates after the season. Coincidentally, he was born and raised just a few miles from Texas City and sadly, knew many of the victims of the blast. In regards to Jackie Robinson's debut, the problem was that although everyone was talking about it, it actually wasn't being reported widely in the newspapers, at least to the degree that everyone knew it should have been. Because of the times, mainstream newspapers worried about boycotts and lost revenue, and because many didn't agree with the barrier being broken, they barely reported the epic event. Robinson received one paragraph in the Washington Post and two in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Giving a game summary, the New York Herald-Tribune sports writer Red Smith wrote in the 10th paragraph, quote, He seemed frantic with eagerness, restless as a can of worms. He looked able, nervous, and uncertain of his fielding chores in his unfamiliar duties at first base, unquote. Robinson complimented his teammates to the Boston Globe, their headline? They really think fast up here, says Jackie Robinson. 
Calling the day uneventful, if they actually wrote anything at all, the white press was all too eager to mention Robinson not getting an official hit and batting into a double play. They even mocked him for being so professional on and off the field. Newspapers published for the African-American community did celebrate Robinson's debut with numerous headlines, along with many pictures to complement the multiple stories. Back in Texas City, on April 18th, the Monsanto Chemical Company declared they would rebuild, no matter what, giving hope to the battered city. Also on this same day, three days after his debut, Robinson hit his first Major League home run against the New York Giants. The Dodgers were the team to watch. They set attendance records everywhere they went. To this day, the top two baseball records for Chicago's Wrigley Field occurred when Jackie Robinson came to town. When the season was over, Robinson led the National League in stolen bases at 29, including stealing home plate three times and was awarded the 1947 Rookie of the Year Award, which years later was renamed the Jackie Robinson Award. Also, an Associated Press poll ranked Robinson second only to Bing Crosby as the nation's most admired man. The Dodgers made it to the World Series in Robinson's first year, losing a heartbreaker. Four games to three to their hated rivals, the New York Yankees. Robinson would make it to the World Series six of the ten years he played, winning it all in 1955. In that series, also against the Yankees, it was game one when Robinson did what he did best, stole a base. Not just any base, he stole home, beating Hall of Fame catcher Yogi Berra to the plate. Considered a straight steal, this hasn't been done in a World Series game since. As for Texas City, the town was resilient. And over the next decade, the citizens worked their way back to make it a thriving town again. The population doubled, and they even added a minor league baseball team called the Texas City Exporters, later renamed the Texans. At least one player, Mickey Livingston, a teammate of Robinson's in 1951, also played for the Texas City minor league team. On July 23, 1962, the first year of eligibility, Jackie Robinson was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. A decade later, on October 15, 1972, baseball once again honored him at the World Series, and after a speech, he threw out the ceremonial first pitch. Sadly, just nine days later, he passed away from a heart attack in his home. In 1997, 50 years after his debut, Major League Baseball retired Jackie Robinson's number 42. No team, no player can wear that number. Except, on every April 15th, which is officially called Jackie Robinson Day, every player, coach, and manager all wear number 42. If a team doesn't play that day, they wear number 42 on the 16th. In Texas City, there are memorials all over town dedicated to the disaster. Grieving statues, a fireman's fountain, and a display with the anchor from the Grand Camp are just a few of the items that keep this tragedy from being forgotten. In regards to the amount of cargo that passes through Texas City, for decades, the port was in the top 10 in the United States, and in 2004, it ranked in the top 50 from all over the world. Texas City's official motto is, the city that would not die. 
On April 15th and 16th, 1947, two worlds were shattered. A small Texas town that would never be the same, and Major League Baseball when the great Jackie Robinson smashed the color barrier that shouldn't have even been there in the first place. And there you have it, all the news that would have been. Thank you for joining us this week on Top Fold. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Top Fold Podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. All my sources and research can be found at topfold.buzzsprout.com. There, along with other things that bring history to life. I'd like to thank David Wagler for the music. And if you like the show, please rate us and give us a review or simply tell a friend. That would be great. So until next time, there you have it. All the news that would have been.